0: Welcome back to another edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Doe, and you're listening to episode 33. Today, we got to have the pleasure to speak with Heather Kelly from Heather's Choice. What she creates are packets of dehydrated, nutritional-densed meals that you can take along with you if you're going backpacking or if you're on an extended hunt and you need to pack in the meals and you're always considering the ounces and the size that it takes up. It's pretty simple. The more you can bring in for food means the longer you can stay out in the woods going after the game that you're after. So the more success you want does require having efficient meal planned throughout the entire trip. Heather's Choice could very well be that option for you. This whole topic wasn't to talk about only her product and get you to look into what she has to offer. In fact, there are other podcasts out there that have done reviews as well as spoken to her specifically about her product line itself. So I didn't want to focus only on what she has to offer because you can find that already. I wanted to go into something else specifically for our viewers and it's about the idea of doing dehydration that if you've done it before, awesome. I've done it, I enjoy it, but I'm very, very limited on what I can do because I just don't understand the concept of expanding my food base. Well, she was willing to give some tips on that and she also spoke about nutrition she also spoke about the paleo diet or paleo nutrition and what's great is that she's got this foundation and education from years of training in the field She's not someone that just toyed around dehydration and nutrition. She's got a sports nutrition degree. And so, applying the knowledge that she's learned through college, she applied her knowledge within the infield experience with some stories I hope that you're going to really enjoy because she shares a little bit on the podcast. So, let's get it going. Is this Heather?
1: Yes. Is this Travis?
0: Yes, this is Travis. How are you doing?
1: Doing good. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. You are in Alaska right now?
1: I am in Alaska. This is home sweet home.
0: (laughs) It's so amazing. Where are you? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Oh, nice. I've heard it's a beautiful place. I haven't spent enough time down in the South, but definitely would like to. We were in Louisiana. About a month or so ago and had the time of our life. I've just never eaten so much fried food (laughs) in all my 28 years as I did that week.
0: (laughs) Really, the the idea of this episode was to talk about nutrition, Um, the idea of packing in food to yeah because dehydration and making that food is a process it seems to be a skill set that you've picked up and learned knowing a little bit of that just to get started would i think would be educational um yeah. as well as interesting for someone to maybe want to try but then go into The value, like the different types of food that you came up with, why, and then some of the background of like how you came up with in the first place.
1: Yeah, that all sounds great. And yeah, I'm totally an open book about helping people to learn a thing or two about dehydrating their own food because I think it's an awesome skill to have and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it also just takes a lot of time and effort, so I don't feel like it's going to like ruin my business if everybody goes and buys an at-home dehydrator because uh, they're going to see that it still takes you know a couple of days to make yourself a meal.
0: <laughs> I think the average person is more lazy. And so yeah. <laughs> and it's not to be mean or anything, but it's just more if you have someone that can do it and do it right- and you don't really care to spend the time, it might be fun to try, but in the long run, most people are going to go ahead and, you know, go the easy route.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, in Alaska, what is the weather like?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit more mild where we are outside of Anchorage, where in the wintertime, you know, probably around winter solstice, we may only have five hours of daylight. So maybe it gets light around 1030, and then by 3, 330, It's starting to get dark again, but... The payoff for that is that in the summertime, for summer solstice, we're going to be experiencing somewhere close to 24 hours of daylight. So it'll be 2 o'clock in the morning, and you can be out hiking around, and it just looks like dusk. It's pretty incredible.
0: How does that work out with keeping your uh, time for sleep and time for wake? Does that ever mess up your equilibrium or anything like that?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I would say that in the wintertime, uh, we eat a lot of ice cream and watch a lot of movies and sleep about 10 hours a night. But then come summertime, it is go, go, go. And it's almost this electric feel, I would say, for everybody here in the state because you just have more daylight to work with and you're all up and excited and getting after it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason why I bring you on our show is that I originally heard a episode of uh, this guy named Brian Call with the Gritty Bowman, which has a great podcast. And he brought you on and you were talking about your new product line, which is called Heather's Choice. And it has really nutritional, healthy, packed food that's dehydrated that people can bring with them on a like, backpacking to, especially for hunters when they're going out for long trips on a hunt. but actually eat healthier instead of what normal people are kind of used to is either junk food or uh, the mountain house and various packed food that people get. But looking in that, how how did you come up with
1: this? (laughs) Well, it's kind of a long story, so I'll try to keep it brief. But basically where it all started was I really got into pack rafting here in Alaska. Uh, When I was 18, I started guiding rivers and that's so amazing. rafting has been kind of my love. I've, that's just my favorite sport in the world, anything whitewater related. And so when I got into pack rafting, I realized that you needed to be able to fit your boat and your dry suit and your life jacket and your helmet and all this stuff <laughs> into a 65 liter backpack. And then on top of that, you needed to take a bear canister and then all of your food for however many days you're going out for. So, even a three day trip could end up being a pretty substantial amount of food. And I've always been a pretty healthy eater. I really got geeked on paleo nutrition when I was in college. I was a collegiate rower for Western Washington University for four years. And so, sports nutrition became my sole focus during those four years and also became my degree. And obviously having a really strong emphasis on healthy food and whole foods nutrition and performance nutrition, you can imagine it was pretty frustrating when I was packing my food for a three or four or five day trip. And I realized I couldn't bring whole apples and oranges and bananas and roast beef. And I just, I couldn't bring all this healthy food that I was so accustomed to eating. Well, you're even talking
0: about like cold food. I mean, what about the idea of chicken or if you wanted to cook and grill out, that's even additional weight for the ice and the food itself. So I get it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I saw that on our trip that we did up in Denali National Park where bears are a very real danger (laughs) and you don't go out there without either bear spray or a gun or both. And so even sitting there, you know, 100 yards away from my tent eating sliced raw cheddar cheese and salami, I was like, eh, this still feels a little sketchy. <laughs> like, this is not the food <laughs> that I should be eating out here. Uh, so it just became blatantly obvious that there had to be a better option. And I needed to have this really delicious, filling food that fit within sort of my dietary preferences is the way I would like to put
0: it makes sense well part of the show we do like to talk about fitness and one of the main parts about fitness is nutrition because if you're not fueling your body with the right type of ingredients or just enough of it i mean you're affecting one the ability to work out harder get trained better and that affects your ability as a a hunter but going into nutrition there's the the physical side of stuff and then you have the food side which gives you the energy how important Is nutrition overall?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So, this is going to shock people, but over and over and over again, you'll see the statistic that 80% of your physique or your performance is food related because food is giving you those building blocks for having healthy muscles, healthy skin, healthy hair, recovery micronutrients, macronutrients, all of that stuff. So you can be working out like crazy in the gym, and you still may not see the results that you're going for unless you're giving your body the building blocks that it needs in order to get bigger, fitter, faster, stronger. And I've actually had the pleasure of working with athletes for coming up on five years now through my first business, Open Nutrition, and helping them to really dial in their diet for optimal performance and health. And it's amazing to see that people are much more likely to exercise more (laughs) than they are to clean up their diets. And I realize that that's a big hurdle for people. But once you start following a very healthy whole foods nutrition plan, you feel so much better that it's almost like you know you kind of drank the Kool-Aid you now know how good you can feel and so it's not that tempting to reach for those less than healthy foods that don't make you feel good and don't make you feel like you have a ton of vitality uh or don't make you feel like you're ready to get up and go and hit the gym again the next day
0: you typed on um the the paleo diet i mean how some people, and it took me a while. I stayed away, not really thinking of jumping on any type of diet because the, the word idea diet always seemed to me as you're limiting or removing something out of your nutrition. And so I was like, if it's considered a diet, I wouldn't do it. I'm looking more lifestyle to sustainable energy. And so I thought the word diet pushed me away. And, but paleo has become huge. Obviously a lot of people do it. What is the mindset of what paleo means uh, to nutrition.
1: Sure. When I was first introduced to paleo, I had read a book called The Paleo Diet for Athletes by Lauren Cordain. And it's an excellent book and definitely worth picking up if you're into endurance sports. And I would say that Lauren Cordain's approach to the paleo diet is probably one of the most stringent no, it says no dairy, no legumes, uh, no grains, no refined sugars, no vegetable oils, all of that. But the way that I've come to see paleo and the way that has worked best for myself and the clients that I work with is, is to really just put an emphasis on whole foods proteins from animals, because those are going to be the most biologically available and the most readily absorbed sources of protein. So keeping an emphasis on that, eating proteins from healthy animals, so we could talk about grass-fed and pasture-raised and wild-caught and blah, blah, blah forever. (laughs) And then you round out your calories with lots of fresh produce and lots of high-quality fats, and that's it. And then there makes it to where there's plenty of room for you to have maybe some of your favorite foods that aren't as health promoting. Like for example, we love eating tacos with corn tortillas and corn tortillas are not paleo. However, that doesn't mean that it's a bad food. And that doesn't mean that there isn't room for it in a a whole foods nutrition plan. So I really try to focus on more the quality of food when I'm talking about a paleo diet rather than focusing on the foods that you can't eat or shouldn't be eating because that's never an uplifting conversation for people. That
0: makes sense. Yeah, some people just, yeah, you do it over and over and over. You, uh, you lose the taste or it almost, there's actually even a way where if you're eating the same thing over and over and over again, you almost stop eating because you can't eat it anymore. <laughs>
1: almost like a food aversion. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, thinking of, the fats because I know people do like they do carb loads or if they feel like if they're going to do a, a major amount of workouts or extraneous amount of energy that need to be spent through if you're backcountry, backpacking, you're scouting, spot and stocking, they're going to carb load the night before. And I never really felt that was always a positive idea because you're putting so much carbs in your body. I've I kind of caught into this mindset of, using fat versus sugar or carbs, but more of a fat-based to be the energy to burn. Would that be more efficient?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's something that's outlined in the Paleo Diet for Athletes or any of the other great paleo books that are out there. And it's this idea that we actually have quite a bit of fat on our bodies. You know, obviously it's different from person to person, but even a very lean male, somewhere close to, you know, six or 7% body fat, still has tens of thousands of calories stored intramuscularly that he should be able to access uh, during a time of food scarcity. So the best way I think for people to visualize this is to think of our hunter-gatherer ancestors who would have had times of feast and they would have had times of famine. So during those times of famine when there is literally not enough food around for people to eat you need to be able to access body fat in order to have fuel to go out and to hunt or to stock or to forage for food. And if your body wasn't good at accessing body fat for fuel, you would die, right? Because yeah. again, that food scarcity, that was a very real thing during our hunter gatherer times. So it's kind of shifted now to where we don't have food scarcity we have an overabundance of readily to eat food all the time yeah <laughs> and so it's easy for us to constantly be reaching for sources of sugar or carbohydrates which are interchangeable they're the same damn thing but if you're always reaching for sugar then your body is always going to say well this is the easiest thing to burn i'll just burn that sugar but then 2 or 3 hours later i'm going to ask for more and people get on that cycle really easily where they wake up in the morning, they have a carb rich breakfast, say it's oatmeal, say it's bananas, whatever it may be. They have that carb rich breakfast two to three hours later. They reach for a carb rich snack, maybe it's a granola bar. Lunchtime, two or three hours later, they have a sandwich. Two or three hours later, they have a smoothie. And then dinner time, they have pasta or rice or some other grain based dish. And they've conditioned their bodies to expect this dose of sugar literally every two, three, or four hours. So, what you're talking about on the flip side is getting your body much more well adapted to operating off of fat for fuel, where you always have fat, again, stored intramuscularly that you can access. And so, you get yourself off of that roller coaster of having to always reach for sugar every couple of hours. And so, how this applies to the backcountry is that if you are able to access body fat for fuel, then you have this slow burning fuel source that's readily available to you all the time, rather than needing an obsessive (laughs) amount of snacks in the top of your backpack (laughs) to be able to reach for every couple of hours. So I could go on about that forever, but hopefully people can kind of see how Wow, it would be advantageous for me to become more efficient at burning fat for fuel because it's going to fuel me for longer and it's going to require me to reach into my snack bag less often.
0: Through just personal trial and error, I mean, over time for years, I was eating uh, still cut oatmeal. I was putting bananas. I had some almonds. I put a little bit of like a peanut butter in my oatmeal and stir it up. I had that every single day. And then someone, when I got into the more fat burning, I changed it. I started off very simply. I would have a high value. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but it's called bulletproof coffee. Um, (laughs) and I've, I've caught the niche on that. And I love the idea of having a coffee that's got like tea, uh, tea extracts put in. I have two scoops of the coconut and then I have two scoops of Kerrygold butter, but I will, I'll have a can of, uh, wild sardines. And Mm -hmm. for, Four, five, six hours a day, I have this incredible focus. I really don't feel hungry, but I also feel like I have the energy throughout the day. Um, It it blows my mind. It it took a complete shift in the way I was thinking. When I work out, I feel like I have more energy, even just from that alone.
1: Yeah, it's wild for people to wrap their heads around. And I've been kind of singing the praises about this stuff for years, so it's become pretty second nature to get up in the morning and have eggs from our backyard chickens and bacon and avocado and maybe sliced apple and be on our merry way, Uh, but I forget that for a lot of folks, it doesn't seem okay to enjoy eggs and bacon on the regular <laughs> or they don't eat red meat every single day and there's still just a lot of food rules that people live by that quite frankly are pretty outdated
0: it's also not like that just the location i mean here in the lower 48 i mean we have obviously we do have the fats i mean you can go and purchase all different types of meat but there's a difference between the meat. There's a quality meat value on each. I mean, you can get something that's got real lean meat to stuff that's just incredibly unhealthy. I mean, how, how does someone know if obviously if you're not hunting and you're purchasing from a store, what are some of the ideas of thinking about that in nutrition?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. So typically if you're not hunting or fishing for your own meat and fish, then what you really want to do is a little bit of research on how your food is raised. So one of the best examples of that is wild-caught Alaskan salmon. Because you can go to your local Whole Foods or health food store and it may say, you know, salmon. And it might say Atlantic salmon. And you're like, hey, I've heard salmon is good for me. I'm going to go ahead and buy a whole bunch of this. But if you were to use the app Sustainable Seafood or do a little bit of research, you would find out that that Atlantic farm-raised salmon is actually not very healthy for you, nor is it a sustainable practice, nor is it healthy for the fish either. So even though it's salmon, once again, that quality is completely different from the wild-caught Alaskan salmon that you could be buying. So one app that's really helpful again is that sustainable seafood uh, or might be called seafood watch. But if you're brand new to this stuff, that is an awesome tool. And then, yeah, next up, I would say that anytime you're buying red meat, you really want to just take a hot second and imagine what do I think that these critters eat? So if you think about bison roaming on a prairie, you can probably very easily imagine that those critters would be eating grass. And that would make sense since they're ruminant animals. Right. So then doing a little bit of research when you're purchasing things like bison and beef and finding out whether or not that animal was raised on open pasture, that's going to dramatically influence the nutritional quality of that meat. And so buying 100% grass-fed or grass-finished uh, ruminants like bison and beef is always going to be your best bet. And to be honest with you, it's definitely difficult to find that stuff unless you are working with a CSA or you find a local rancher in your area that you trust or you're going in on a cow share. Because even here in Alaska, we have a lot of grass-fed beef and we even have some grass-fed bison. However, if I go to my local Car's or Fred Meyer's, They'll have a very small section of organic meats and it might have like a good looking green, pretty label on it, but it'll say on there grass fed, which does not mean grass finished. And what I mean by that is that most cows are raised on grass until they reach their final couple of months of life. And then those ranchers will then sell them off and they will fatten them up the last two to three months and then slaughter them. So you're essentially getting a grain-fed animal. I did not know that. Yeah, isn't this ridiculous? They can market (laughs) it as grass-fed because it's super cost-effective to let these critters just like roam on pasture and eat their way to a few hundred pounds, but then once again, finish them off and fatten them up right before you take them to market. So you really have to look for that 100% grass-fed label. When you are purchasing meats, if you want to pay a premium for it,
0: okay, that just even solidifies the the reason why hunters go after wild game because they're getting closer to that within reason. Obviously, there's you have the hunters that uh, feed. If they're going after deer or something, they might use corn uh, as an attractant, but then they're also stuffing them up. But then you have the people that are just either in a WMA, which is what we have in Georgia, but uh, that you're going after almost as true wild as possible with the meat because you know it's it's healthier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so this stuff does take a little bit of effort and it takes some research and all of that. But the reason why I think this is really worth it for people is not only from a health standpoint, but it's also a taste. Standpoint. Like, we bought some grass fed ribeyes from our local grocery store here recently, and we grilled the two steaks next to each other. And then when we actually tasted the two, it was like, oh my gosh, you can tell like these did not come from the same cow. And quite frankly, like one has kind of an off flavor and is not very good, where the other one was like halfway decent, but neither one of them was at all comparable to the caribou steaks we'd had a couple nights before, or you know the moose steaks that we've had. So just the reason I want to bring that up is because once you've eaten really high quality, healthy meats, the other stuff, quite frankly, just doesn't taste as good. And it's not very motivating to go out and buy conventionally raised beef or chicken because you're going to notice off flavors or you're going to notice, wow, this isn't half as delicious as the stuff that I went and bought from a rancher down the road or that I went and harvested myself.
0: Yes, As a side note, just because I'm curious, because you said caribou meat and not, can people purchase this type of meat up in Alaska, but from out of state?
1: Oh, good question. You can't. So caribou and moose, all of that, thankfully running a line of dehydrated backpacking food, we get to do quite a bit of bartering (laughs) (laughs) Um, since you're not able to purchase that stuff. But we do have yak and we have reindeer and we have bison and beef. So you can buy those. But once again, you have to be very, very careful as far as what these animals are being fed and you need to do your research because it's very easy to, let's say, start a bison farm, but corn feed all of them. And uh, then all of a sudden you're paying 10 or 20 bucks a pound for corn fed meat just because it's bison.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the word doesn't mean it's always better, but I get it. I mean, you really need to know your, your stuff before you purchase. Sure. Well, that kind of brings us into you know dehydration because what you've created is Which is incredible is that these small single serving packs for backpacking and the, but the dehydration part is very interesting because you're taking real food and you're, you're, once you've created the mix, you're dehydrating this process to make it into where you can pack it out. What is that kind of step? Like what steps do you go in to get into dehydration?
1: Yeah, great question. So when I was first starting off doing this with my little at home dehydrator in my dad's garage (laughs) back like (laughs) right after college. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a super fun project and I was making turkey jerky and dehydrated purple instant mashed potatoes and fruit leathers. And it was just like this unbelievable experiment. And I must have dehydrated close to 50 pounds of food in a matter of three weeks. It was so fun. But what I found was a couple of things that were pretty consistent. If I wanted to dehydrate a whole meal, it was really important that I cut everything to quarter inch pieces. So the carrots had to be diced to quarter inch by quarter inch it really worked well to do ground meat instead of, you know, inch pieces of stew meat. And it also helped if I had a really rich, thick recipe that I could spread onto my dehydrator trays, rather than maybe a soup or a broth, because obviously it would just flow off of the trays and didn't really have any shape uh, when I spread it onto the dehydrator. So there was some experimenting like that, and beyond that, I was looking really at the macronutrient balance too, where something that was very fatty, like a ribeye steak, (laughs) wouldn't really dehydrate at all, because the (laughs) fats really don't dehydrate. And if you were to leave that on the shelf for too long, it would actually go rancid on you. So that's why you'll notice that most jerky is very, very lean, because the fat has uh, how would you say it? I guess a likelihood of going rancid pretty quickly
0: uh, every time i make jerky even if i do two or three pounds of it it doesn't last but maybe a few days yeah. at most it, I, <laughs> I was like i'm just gonna have a few i'll even i'll go to the full extent of putting five or six into a ziploc bag and make five or six or 12 bags and i just keep going after one after that it's like popping uh those pringles and once you pop you can't stop but it's with jerky yeah.
1: <laughs> Exactly, yeah. I've had the same thing. Like if I try to make sweet potato chips, oh my gosh, they never make it into the backcountry. We just eat them all right off the dehydrator trays, and they're so warm.
0: <laughs> you're you're literally deal. making my mouth drool because I love sweet potatoes, and I've uh, the only type of sweet potato chip I've had is with those. Uh, I forget. It's like a bag uh, they make dehydrated chips. I can't remember what it's named. Um, It'll dawn on me later. But I've always wanted to make it. I just don't know the steps because I know you can mic to make it soft, but I've never figured out a way to dehydrate that process because I was like, well, oh, well, it didn't work for me.
1: Oh, man, you would have flipped the other day. We actually have gotten to the point where our freezer basically only has ground moose meat and halibut left in it. Like, woe is us living here in Alaska. But (laughs) I was like, well, what are we going to make for dinner? And I had this big jar of pork lard and I ended up heating up the lard and making uh, sweet potato fries and with rosemary and sea salt and then some battered halibut chunks with tapioca and egg. And that was all that was in there. And uh, we had fish and chips that was like the healthiest version of fish and chips you've ever had in your life. Ah, uh, but we'll have to get you some pork lard, and you can fry your little heart out and make some sweet potato chips.
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, you know, thinking of the different types of food that you've come up with, I mean, you've come, I think on your site, you have how many different flavors?
1: We have eighteen different products right now, and we're about to release number nineteen. <laughs> really, yeah, it's honestly hard for me to actually hold back as far as. I have a bajillion different products that I would like to put out there like a really good chicken mole and a green pork chili pasole, and Heather's fruit leathers and instant drinks. Like I just have this menu in my mind that I'm really uh, looking forward to offering over the next few years. But for openers here, we do have six different dinner entrees, six flavors of our buckwheat breakfast and six flavors of our coconut packeroons. That people can stock up on for their backcountry trips.
0: That's incredible. You've made these individual size packets. And every time I've ever gone backpacking, and I know people that have even purchased a Mountain House, they're usually two sizes or two servings. They're always too much. Uh, one, they don't taste that good for in the first place, so I've I've never been able to finish a mountain house. Uh, I usually get a couple bites in, and I start trying to give uh, the people around me what I don't want to have left. <laughs> uh, and you can tell when whenever I try to give to them, they look like no, nah, no, nah, it's okay, you can keep it. And we end up just using it as like fire food. But um, but you have these designed to be very small individual. Is there a reason why you did that way instead of two servings?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, with pack rafting trips, you have so much space in your bag dedicated to your boat and your dry suit and all of that jazz that I really wanted to minimize the amount of space that the food I was making was taking up in my pack. And I was actually fortunate enough to go on a lightweight backpacking trip with some friends of mine across Zion A couple of years ago and they are like the ultimate lightweight backpacking geeks. And we went on a four day trip with 20 liter packs. We didn't have anything with us. (laughs) And that was a real eye opener for me of, okay, I need to be able to create these meals and snacks where you simply add hot water to the bag and you have very little trash and you can pack everything out. And essentially four days worth of food should be able to fit into, you know, the top pouch of your backpack. And so when I was creating Heather's Choice, I knew that I wanted to be hitting somewhere close to 100 or 150 calories per ounce. That's pretty standard. And I also wanted to make it to where each meal would be very satisfying and would have a lot of protein and a lot of good carbs and good quality fats. But once again, it still wasn't going to take up a lot of space. So people will notice that Heather's Choice bags are almost half the size of other bags on the market. So a typical mount house is almost like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper where the bags we have now are five by eight, but we're about to release our new packaging, which is about six by six and a half. So they're going to be even smaller. Wow. <laughs> and this is literally just for people who are going on these really long, lightweight, backcountry trips that need to be saving space and they need to be saving weight because they're traveling long distances or again they're going out for a long period of time so I was definitely intentional with the packaging and it's going to be one of our biggest selling points and one of the things I'm most proud of is to see how many calories I can fit into (laughs) the smallest package I can
0: how (laughs) how does that uh, work when it comes to adding the water
1: Great point. So that has been definitely a limiting factor since you need to add about a half cup of water to the breakfast or a cup of water to the entrees. So that's why we don't have, let's say, even smaller packages because we could fit the food into like a three inch by four inch package if we wanted to. Just you wouldn't be able to add hot water to the bag. But for me personally, on my backcountry trips, I never want to have to wash a dish while I'm out there. So yeah. we like having these stand-up bags that you simply pour hot water into, and then when you're done, you reseal the bag and tuck it in your backpack and haul your trash out with you, or you can chuck them on the fire and burn them. <laughs> That's the <laughs> other good way to go about it.
0: <laughs> I've uh, I've experienced that many times. Yeah. With this. Mm. Um Well, even yeah, the the size of it. The current one that you have, I think the smallest I've had before uh, purchasing your product was that, I think it was called, surprisingly enough, it's called Mary Jane. And they're, <laughs> they're very thin, very small, but they're still wider and they take up more space. And I always I actually thought they were the smallest size for packing. And that's what I was using for maybe two years. Um, and then when I got these in the, the mail, it's blowing me on my mind because I got them packed up in my bag. Uh, what I normally would have. And I realized I have so much extra space. And I'm like, well, what do I do with this extra space? Because I'm not used to having that extra space. Um, <laughs> and it's getting down to my mindset of, well, I now have a good breakfast and I have a good dinner. And usually during the day when I'm backpacking, people are also, if they're thinking of hunting, you're focusing on the day. You're pretty much not maybe sitting down and eating. So I I kind of have snacks out there, they have jerky of some sort, but a good meal at night and a good meal in the morning seems to do very well, especially when I'm out back and uh, backpacking. So looking at the nutrition that you put in, looking at the different flavors you can, I feel like I will actually eat all of it versus wasting it. Um, I feel like I'm making better decisions when it comes to, to setting up uh, the way I want to position all the weight distribution. And it's interesting. It's just really interesting. The, the concept that you took of making something healthy and small um, to another level.
1: Yeah, it's been super fun. And it's cool to always be getting feedback from people who are taking this stuff out and using it. Because I've even had guys who are mountaineering and they're like, hey, you know, I don't really need individual packages of this stuff. Can you just vacuum seal a big old bag of this for me so that I can measure out? individual servings into my pot that I'm using or the bowl that I use over and over again. And so that's been fun to once again, be able to tailor this stuff to our customers. And they're coming to us and saying, this is exactly what I want. Like, I have guys that buy this stuff for emergency preparedness, and they buy it by the five-gallon bucket. And it's like, great. Really, for me, that's the fun part about Heather's Choice is not only have I had the pleasure of creating these healthy, delicious meals that are literally inspired by my own home cooking, but then to have people take it out into the backcountry and come back and give me feedback and make requests like, hey, Heather, I'm leaving for a three-month sea kayaking trip on kodiak island can you send me with a three-month supply that's not individually packaged it's like hell yeah that's awesome
0: that's amazing
1: (laughs) yeah it's been super super fun and That's really been the theme for me recently because people have been asking me, like, what's your vision of the business and what's your favorite part about it? And honestly, I would like to get to the point where we have a full day's worth of calories for somebody. So we have their hot drinks, we have their breakfast, their snacks, their dinners, their desserts, all in a gallon-sized Ziploc bag. So that way someone like you could say you know what? I'm going on a 10 day trip hiking on the AT. I'm going to go to heatherschoice.com and order a 10 day supply. And that is all the thinking I have to do about my food for my trip, because I trust that Heather's going to pack me, you know, 10 awesome days worth of calories. Like that would be perfect.
0: (laughs) You know how everybody's starting to come up with these uh, monthly subscriptions where every month you get something new Mm -hmm. and what you're saying there, it would be neat for someone that's actively outside needing something like this, that kind of shifts in that direction where if they had that purchase, they know that every single time they're getting something new, but something healthy seems kind of a cool idea.
1: Yeah, it'd be perfect. It'd be fun to get people psyched on, you know, even like the one trip a month subscription. And say you send somebody a three-day supply every month and it's like, okay, pick a weekend this summer that, or this month that you're going to go out and even just do a one or two night trip and we kind of have that for ourselves here in Alaska where we try to get out each month. So I think a subscription surfa- surface service would only help inspire people to do that even more.
0: Is it just you running the business or do you have more people still like working with you?
1: Well, <laughs> it's just me. I have hired out two uh, kitchens and in one in Alaska to actually mix and make our meals for us which has worked out to be an awesome partnership because the guys i hired down in denver are good friends of mine the folks that we've hired in anilchik alaska are the ones who make our smoked salmon products and they are the sweetest family you've ever met in your life i just love them so i've been developing partnerships with other small food producers to meet the demand that we've seen over the last couple of years but ultimately i'm really looking forward to building a kitchen here in Anchorage Alaska where we can produce a ton of food and distribute it hopefully worldwide that would be the ultimate goal
0: how has this um the like obviously over the few years expansion been going i mean i know you said you had or still do have it's called the open nutrition now i went to opennutrition.com and i noticed it shifted to a new website saying coming soon
1: Yes, that's a great point. So I started my first business, Open Nutrition, when I was fresh out of college. And it was about five years ago. And I've been doing nutrition coaching uh, for people over the phone, mostly or doing in person nutrition seminars. And it's been a really fun business. However, it's gotten to the point where Heather's Choice is pretty well taking up all of my time. And that's where most of my focus is. So I've pretty well pulled open nutrition.com down and just giving myself some breathing room to say, hey, I'm not taking on a bunch of new clients right now and I'm not but focused on that business so much as I'm focused on Heather's Choice. So I'm still keeping that in my back pocket because someday it'd be really nice to write a book and to, uh, like I say, put more of that nutrition knowledge out there to people, whether it's on the open nutrition.com platform or Heather's Choice. But yeah, Heather's choice is taking off at such a rapid rate that it's requiring pretty much focus. all of my time. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, got to keep people fed.
0: <laughs> Looking into, I guess, because you've been in part of nutrition for a long period of time, and that you did different types of uh, guiding trips. You know, do you have a really good trip? that either through hunting or as your guided trips um, that maybe you recall that um, is probably one of your best experiences or maybe that got you into what you're doing. I mean, just something that was really unique.
1: Sure, man. I mean, there's, there's been so many of them, but one trip that we, that we went on recently was kind of a, just an eye opener and a really good illustration of the types of trips we like to do. So we, we were invited to go on a trip in Utah with some good friends of ours. And they had orchestrated the whole trip and they were going to bring all the gear. And it was basically like, hey, just fly down here, bring your pack rafts, and we'll take care of everything else. So the day of the trip comes along and we're getting ready to launch. And our friends call and say, hey, our car broke down. We're not going to make it. And it's like, well, shit, like, we flew all the way from Alaska. <laughs> we really want to do this trip. And, you know, what do we got to do to make it happen? And so we realized we needed a water filter and we needed a map. And so we were in Moab and we went, bought a water filter, couldn't find a map. So we got this app uh, called Topo, which is now like my favorite app in the world. If you don't have it, download it. It's worth every penny. And so we took off just basically reading a blog post about this trip that somebody else had previously done. And we set off into the backcountry literally with a stove, our boats, a water filter, and some Heather's Choice. Hmm. And it ended up being 54 miles over the course of two and a half days. And we basically dropped into this side canyon called Keg Springs, hiked about eight miles in, Spent the night literally bushwhacking through the desert, which I don't recommend. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we spent the night and it was that perfect Heather's Choice experience of like, you get there, you're exhausted, you build a fire and boil some water and add it to the bag and eat your food and fall asleep. And then the next day, we actually got to float 24 miles on the Green River, which is unbelievably beautiful. Just a really mellow float trip in our pack rafts. And then we camped at another canyon called Horseshoe Canyon, which we didn't bring a tent for this. So we're just sleeping out in the desert. And once again, after a 20 some odd mile day, we were just exhausted and boiled water and ate our food and (laughs) fell asleep. And then at the end of the trip, we got to see these petroglyphs in Horseshoe Canyon, which is actually, I think, one of the biggest Uh, displays of petroglyphs in the country if you haven't been there go it's incredible but the one of the most memorable parts of this trip for me was not only did we cover a shit ton of distance all with like a very lightweight backpacking mentality and just rocked it but we came out of there and these two guys were at the trailhead where we had parked our car and said hey did you just get done doing the keg springs trip and we're like yeah we just got back and we're like super dirty and tired and you know really gratified that we accomplished this really remote trip and they're like yeah we flew down here to do that trip too but it was so hard going into keg springs and it was you know just treacherous terrain and we realized we didn't bring enough food and so we turned around and came back and had to bail on the trip
0: oh that sucks
1: I know. And so they saw us and saw that we had just completed the trip that they had come all the way down to do and had to bail on. And them saying like, yeah, food was the thing that really determined the success or failure of our trip was just so awesome for me to hear because it really reminded me like, wow, you know, the food you bring on a trip is so critical to your success. Like, that's why I want to do Heather's Choice is so people don't have to worry about their food. They can trust that I'm going to give them really wholesome, healthy calories that they can just toss in their backpack in the desert and not worry about it melting or cooking (laughs) or, you know, getting ripped into by some sort of critter. Like, that was a very gratifying moment for me, not only that we had accomplished this fairly gnarly backcountry mission, but we had also, you know, just come out of there and been an inspiration for the other guys who really wanted to do the trip. And now we're going to have to you know, figure out a new plan and come back and try again another time.
0: (laughs) That is uh, amazing. I bet I did. They, I mean, after they got done, I mean, you said that they completely canceled it. Did they ask you questions like, what did you do and how did you, how are you able to accomplish this?
1: Oh yeah. They were full of questions just because once again, the start of the trip was very remote and we were just literally using our GPS to check in to try to figure out where the heck we were the whole time. Uh, But I think it really depended on the time of year because you wouldn't have had to bushwhack so aggressively had it not been springtime. So, yeah, they asked a ton of questions, asked us how long it took, and they were pretty bummed that they didn't go for it. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely a memorable trip for us though, just because it was so challenging. That's
0: interesting that you took literally just a topo map that you got from an app a water filter and a stove and you just did it. I mean, you didn't like without having all the uh, other preparations, you just did the trip that, uh, not many people would take that kind of a trip, just not knowing what's going to be planned out or what's ahead.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a confidence booster just to see how well topo maps can work and like i say this app worked so well that we didn't have cell service the whole time but the drop points are still pretty dang accurate and in the desert for me it feels like a safer place than being here in alaska you no know, i don't necessarily think i would do well that's not true <laughs> i have done trips like that here in alaska and it was even more challenging than being in the desert because up here if you're bushwhacking through alders it can be hundreds of miles that you are bushwhacking <laughs> through alders and there are grizzly bears, and there's rivers to cross, and there's cold, and there's rain, and there's just, to me, traveling here in Alaska in the backcountry is way more challenging than the desert, where, yes, you have scarcity of water, and you have heat, and you have rattlesnakes, and you have cactuses, and things like that, but at least you're not going to die of cold, or you're not going to get eaten by a very large grizzly bear or something like that so have you ever encountered
0: bears uh into the extent of where you felt pretty worried
1: oh yeah uh we i mean we have grizzly bears in our freaking backyard so you literally want to like look twice before you step into the backyard where we live uh thankfully i haven't had any super close encounters but one of my pack rafting trips up in denali national park i distinctly remember sitting in my pack raft And looking over at the shore and seeing, you know, a bear the size of an SUV and being so grateful that I was on the water and not hiking on the shoreline (laughs) because he would have been way too close for comfort.
0: (laughs) I've always had the uh, the feeling, I, I bring bear spray and I think everything I've read Instead, if you're out in the backwoods and you had a choice either shooting a high-power rifle or a gun, a handgun, if quick enough, that you actually could be more successful with a pepper spray or the the bear spray uh, than you would be firing a gun at them. I I wonder if that's legitimate or if that's just because they're trying to sell the the bear spray. But, uh, I mean, do you know of anybody personally that's used both and had success either way?
1: You know, the folks that I know... Mostly use the guns for a noise, just deterrent. You know, you're not necessarily going to take a shot at a bear. Uh, You're more likely to see them and to fire some rounds off just to scare them away because they are pretty scared of you a lot of the times. I also have had folks that have gone on rafting trips up here and gone through seven to nine cans of pepper spray from one bear who just would not leave their camp alone. So I feel like the bear spray actually is pretty dang effective, but more than anything, you know, really thinking about where you're camping and being really smart about your food management, that's so much more important than bringing some sort of weapon (laughs) on a trip. Because we've had plenty of backcountry trips where we haven't seen bears at all. And that's because we do hang our food, we camp far away from our kitchen, you know, things like that, or not camping right next to streams chocked full of fish. So I feel like there's a lot of other things you can do that are going to make you a lot more successful at not having a bear encounter rather than worrying about, am I bringing bear spray or a gun?
0: I know this is kind of also subject of the the food, but I, I had to ask this. Every time <laughs> I go in the backwoods, and especially for camping, um, they always say, hang your food. I have a mindset I can probably be dumbfounded by this, but my theory, and I could be completely wrong, but I thought if you stick it up because they have incredible nose, you're allowing the smell to go further and allowing them to draw. I know you're supposed to bring, you know, put the food away from campsite, but you're still drawing them in from a further distance because it's up higher in the air. My thought was, why wouldn't you bury it?
1: Ooh, yeah. I think that's probably more along the lines of the leave no trace, because if you're on a fairly populated trail and you're digging holes all around, you know, it seems like that would be more detrimental to a campsite than oh. simply hanging the food.
0: But. Thinking of the, you know, the drawing of the attractant of having food up in the air versus in the ground, would there be a difference? You think?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I'm not super privy to, you know, the nose of a bear, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like for me, if I'm on a trip, there's been plenty of times that I've actually kept my food with me and maybe even brought the food into the tent and slept with it. And I know plenty of people who do that because they're like, you know what, if I'm out here for 10 days, I'm sure as shit not going to lose my food to a bear. So I feel like it's so much more personal preference. And for us, it seems like a lot of times bringing food that doesn't have a really strong smell and keeping it really well packaged and maybe even using smell-proof bags that seems more important to me than even necessarily the placement of the food.
0: Now, just a side question. Are the Heather's choice bags smell proof?
1: Man, it'd be worth finding out, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're really thick Mylar. So I would, uh, I'd be really impressed if you could smell anything through six mil Mylar bags. <laughs> well,
0: this is a, uh, it's actually been a good conversation. I know this is uh, for the listeners. We didn't really tap into hunting specific, but our podcast is not only hunting related. It's all about the elements that become a hunter and nutrition is one of them. And especially if you're backpacking or you're back in the uh, backwoods and you're hunting, packing small, packing light, packing healthy to me seems very important. And when I came across this, it intrigued me enough to to start looking more into it. And I'm glad I did because when I look at the different uh, things that I've had in the past and never been satisfied uh, with what they put in them, and anybody that's ever tried it, they know what I mean, um, to how I felt afterwards, especially the next day, I'm really intrigued to try out what you have and, you know, hopefully I'll have a a different experience, but based on the ingredients and based on overall the pack experience I'm going to have just going in, I feel like I'm going to be having a better experience.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Cause people will be really impressed when they see that our ingredient list basically reads, you know, hundred percent grass fed, grass finished bison, yams, tomatoes, onions, garlic, you know, lots of spices and some sea salt. (laughs) And that would be, you know, the ingredient list for our dark chocolate chili. It's very simple. It's wholesome, healthy food, and literally inspired by the cooking that I would do at home. So That's pretty awesome to see people taking these recipes into the backcountry and, like I say, providing me with a ton of feedback so that I can continue to make the product better and better all the time.
0: I think the only thing, and it's just me, a long history of um, my, when I was younger, my mom always uh, used to try to hide onions in my food. And I got to a point where I, if I tried a little bit, I almost could not swallow a meal because I knew the onion was there. So it's a mental block in my head. I know it's something <laughs> I have to work through. Um, I noticed that you have onions in yours, but they're fairly big. And so I feel like if something where I don't know if I could technically eat the onions, I feel like I can at least pick them out. Um, and one of the thoughts that came to mind when you were saying that some people gave you suggestions, have you ever thought about like a frappade, not uh, onion powder, but like liquefied onion that was part of the mix.
1: Ooh, that's a good point for our Ethiopian Dorawat, which is a North African style of curry. We actually do puree the onions and the ginger together. And that's sort of the base of our curry powder, our curry paste. So we do a little bit of that. Uh, The only thing we run into with pureeing foods is if you're going to puree a lot of stuff and do it on a commercial level, you can cook through some blenders. Oh, okay. A lot of times with these recipes, we do take that into consideration of, okay, if we're going to do this, you know, thousands of times, (laughs) what's going to be realistic for us? And thankfully, with that Ethiopian doorwatt, we are able to pulse onions and ginger and garlic together in a food processor and create almost like a puree that you mentioned and then use that again. Again, as the base for the recipe, it's really good. I,
0: I am excited to see what these are going to be like. And I'm, I can't wait to try that dark chocolate chili because when it's dark chocolate and chili, you know, chocolate and chili, I didn't think that would go well, but it's something worth a try.
1: Oh, yeah. And people can just imagine it's almost like a Texas style chili where it's all meat and no beans. So it's really filling and really good. That's one of my favorite meals. But no if beans folks is good, are, especially out yeah. there.
0: It's always good not to have beans.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do your tent mates
0: a favor and skip the beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I need to have one of my friends purposely get only that because, man, there's been some nights. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you could think almost that could be a, a natural deterrent for any type of wild animal you don't want around.
1: Sure, exactly. It's a survival issue. Yeah. I know I, I get plenty of backcountry stories like that. But I would say that if people are really curious about our menu and want to take our stuff for a whirl. Definitely the wild caught smoked sockeye salmon chowder, the blueberry yep. buckwheat breakfast and the orange vanilla packeroons. Those are my favorites so far.
0: Well, the ones I got is the, the smoked salmon, the, the breakfast, um, the buckwheat. Cause I love buckwheat. I think that's awesome. And I also got the dark chocolate. So I got two packs of each for my entire trip. And, um, I think it's going to work out pretty well. Uh, and what, what I like about it is that when I was looking at the the prices, I actually think the prices seem comparable to the quality that you're providing in these packets. The prices seem reasonable. It seems very uh, easy to, to purchase and it doesn't seem like you're breaking the bank and you're getting a great meal with it.
1: Yeah, thanks for that because that's been really hard to explain to some people that in every single bag, you're getting close to six ounces of protein. So imagine a six ounce fillet of salmon at a restaurant is gonna cost you what, twenty or thirty bucks? Oh yeah. <laughs> Easy. And and dinner. that's
0: that's not even a wild Alaskan.
1: No. <laughs> right. So that's been definitely tough for some people to swallow who are used to spending very little on their backcountry food, but we have plenty of customers who are really psyched to be supporting a small business they're psyched to be investing in high quality proteins they're really pumped to be getting a gluten soy and dairy-free meal so there's plenty of people out there who are supporting us and supporting what we're all about so it's going to allow us just to continue to diversify our menu and like I say put out more really good food for people
0: looking at the quality you're buying quality meal at a very good price and like you said you're helping uh, a good business that's trying to grow for the use of that what we were wanting in the first place and uh, it's a, a win-win I think
1: yeah thanks for that and like I say the hunting community has been unbelievably supportive and it's been so cool to get to hear about people's trips and get their feedback on the food and have them send me photos and it's an exceptionally fun business.
0: Well, Heather Kelly, I really appreciate you spending the time, taking your time being on the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And if folks have questions, they can find me at heatherschoice.com and they can follow us on Instagram to see pictures of what we're up to here in Alaska. And then also follow us on Facebook and sign up for our newsletter for any sort of email discounts that we might be sending out to folks.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Have a good one.
0: You too. Okay, so we had this conversation a few weeks back, which when I actually recorded the episode, I wanted to release it sooner. However, because we're getting close to the Memorial Day weekend, and I also purchased a few of her products to try out and use within my backpacking trip that I went on, um, I wanted to wait and actually see what it was like to experience her product itself and share that with you. First off, hands down, probably the best meal I've tasted. Let me step back real quick. The very first thing I really did try from Heather's Choice was her packaroons. These little sized balls. You get two in a pack and they taste delicious. Later that day on our first day of backpacking after we set camp I pulled out the wild Alaskan salmon and uh, I can tell you, I'll tell you this. When she said she condensed this to a single serving size and how small it, you think like this doesn't seem like it's gonna fill you up I'm I'm here to say it does. I had a hard time finishing the meal, not because it didn't taste good. In fact, it tasted excellent. The difference was that I felt like I was full. And with the other types of dehydrated meals I used to purchase, I wouldn't finish it because I didn't like the way it tasted. There are tons of flavors out there. Um, I always ended up trying to give it to other people because I couldn't finish it. And it wasn't because I was full. It was because I didn't want it. Well, with Heather's Choice, I wanted to keep eating, but I couldn't because I was full. Her meals are highly dense nutrition that really does fill you up. So that being said, you can have 10 meals in the size of three mountain house packs and the amount of weight and space are identical, but they taste delicious. So take that into consideration. That might be something that makes your decision to look at her product line. Yes, cost, it's a little more than you might be used to. But if you're going based on density, ounces for ounces and space, the nutrition, you put that all into perspective, the amount you pay, you're paying for something that tastes good. You're paying for something that actually works. So uh, that's something to think about. Now, in this episode, I was really... Excited to learn a little bit more about dehydrating meals. I'm going to give it a shot, try some new things based on some of the topics she talked about. I love getting into nutrition. I mean, nutrition is a very important aspect about anybody is trying to stay fit. Also, having the energy for brain activity to focus, to the stamina to achieve the type of different things they want to do out throughout the day, especially when out hunting. The more focus you have, the better chances you are going to be successful. Anyways, so. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I did. I'm also glad that I tried her product. She didn't send it to me for free. This was not a sponsored type of episode. I wanted to try it. I paid the full price because I wanted to support her business. I wanted to try to see what she really had to see if what she said was exactly what I was getting, and it was. All right, guys and girls, hunters and huntresses, if you would enjoyed this episode like I did, If you could take the moment and go to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes and give us a review based on what you think of our show. We'd love your support if you could follow us on our social accounts from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the ones that actually make sense. Uh, We have a link on our website that will give you each of the locations that were found. Follow us there. Give us your support and let other people know that you're listening to our show. So again, I do appreciate your time. Thank you for listening into our show. We have new, more exciting episodes coming out. Stay tuned to that. I think that's about it. I'm Travis Stote, your host of the Bowers Podcast. I'll talk to you soon. I'm out of here.